I wonder what you hope for as you come to church on a Sunday morning. I imagine it might be for some of you that you sing something that you like or that you know well. For others, it may be that you get a sense of the closeness of the Holy Spirit, that it touches you in a new way, that he comes and fills you and refreshes you. For some of you, you might be coming hoping for a healing and a restoration, a newness of life. And others among you might have different hopes. Things that you are there longing for God to do in your life. And you come into this presence hoping that you may see that journey towards that time. That you will know that presence, that hope being fulfilled. The hope of those in the first century synagogue of Nazareth was for the coming Messiah. They hoped for an individual that was anointed by God, filled with the Spirit, to come and to lead them, to restore them as a people, as a great nation. They wanted what we might consider an Ezra exit, a removal of Israel from the Roman Empire, a new establishment of who they were. The way ahead had been prepared. And after his time of temptation in the wilderness... Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. And he travels from village to village, from synagogue to synagogue, going to the places where people gather, reading the scrolls, expounding God's word, and speaking it with an authority like they had never heard before. He proclaims the coming kingdom is among them. And the news goes ahead. It spreads and it reaches the town where his father had been a carpenter and where he had grown up. And so the people wait. They watch, they listen, and they hope. And their hopes seem to be fulfilled. It is not a random scroll that is passed to him to read. It's from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And the people hear Jesus make a declaration of being anointed, followed by a hope of freedom for the prisoners, 
how their hearts must have been stirred by this. This is what we want to hear. This is the message. We are the prisoners. We are the oppressed. He is the anointed. How wonderful it would all seem to them. This is the moment. This is it. They hang on every single word. Their eyes are fastened to him as he sits down. All spoke well of him. Everything is going so good. Their hope is being fulfilled. And then it happens. The crash, the anger, the furiousness deep in their heart. And this really is a a game of two halves in this reading, isn't it? From that longing to hear each word dripping from his mouth to wanting to throw him off a cliff. What gets them there? Jesus points out that they are not going to like the word he has for them. They are not going to appreciate it. Indeed, they will disown him. Because just like the prophets of old, who were telling their king to repent or face the consequences, Jesus is going to tell them something that they don't want to hear. The prophet is never welcome in their own town. Not simply because they have seen that person grow up before they were a prophet. Watching from childhood into adolescence and being an adult and therefore knowing the history of that individual. The thing is, it works the other way too. The prophet knows the individuals in the crowd. They know the backstory. And so the prophet in their own town is unwelcome because he or she is a whistleblower from within. Someone who tells the truth as God sees it. And it hurts deeply when the elephant in the room is spoken of. The crowd doesn't like the word and they turn against the speaker. As Luke makes clear throughout his gospel... Even the people closest to Jesus don't understand Christ's earthly mission. On the way to Jerusalem, Peter will try to tell Jesus to stop talking of his forthcoming death. And towards the end of the book, in the very last chapter, after hearing of the resurrection... Cleopas walking on the Emmaus road is downcast. The true teaching of Scripture not understood until Jesus takes bread and breaks it and suddenly eyes are opened. 
in a time of famine. Elijah did not feed an Israelite widow despite many being hungry. He fed a Syrophoenician in a land that we would now consider to be Lebanon. And Jesus reminds the crowd of this. He says, there were hungry people. But who did the prophet feed? Who was ready? Who was faithful to receive the feeding that God had in mind? And then he speaks of Elisha. Elisha healed Naaman. A foreign soldier. Someone that had led soldiers into battle against Israel. Who had taken captives, young people, away from Israel. That's where the slave that said, look, there's a prophet back in my homeland, came from. Naaman was an aggressor against Israel. And yet he is the one that is healed. Even though Israel had many lepers. And the thing is, God does not discriminate in his mercy and grace. He is love. He is abounding in love. He has love for his people. But he also has love for the rest of the world as well. And that was not the message of the word that was wanted. This is not the message of hope that is making Israel great again. It's a story of something much more. Being great was never the point of God's people. That was never the purpose of Israel. They were never blessed to be superior. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were blessed so that they would be a blessing to others. We see that way back in, uh, in the call of Abram. In Exodus 12, verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed by you. That's their purpose. They're to be God's people, but to be God's people on the earth. An example, a light to the nations. And the same is true for us today as a church. We are God's people. Not simply to gather and praise his name. Not simply to know that we are saved by the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. But to be his body in the world. To declare that he loves all people and seeks the kingdom where justice is done, 
where as in that scripture from Isaiah that Jesus read in the synagogue, the prisoners are freed, the blind can see, the debt is cancelled in a year of jubilee. Good news for the poor. The people not of faith are to be blessed by those of faith. And this is the role of the church. We do not follow God's call to a common ministry for the purpose of our glory. We do not induct elders simply for their benefit. I'm not sure if you get much benefit, either of you or any of the other elders here, by being an elder. But they're inducted to serve the church, to lead the church, that we might be God's witness in the world. Together we are to serve God and to seek his coming kingdom, ensuring his will is done in our lives. The people of Nazareth thought they understood God's word, that it was declared in the law and spoken by the prophets. They thought they knew God's will, but it is clear in their response that they did not. The crowd chased the Lord. They take him to a high spot. On a cliff, they intend to silence him. But it is not yet the time for Jesus to die. And instead, he simply walks away. There will be a later time when the time is right, where Jesus chooses not to simply walk away. He who saved others could have saved himself, but chose to save even more. And he is nailed to a cross the only true innocent man paying the price for our sins. Do we accept this idea of sacrifice, I wonder? We might recognise the sacrifice he did when he died in our place. But do we give up our earthly way of life for him? Do we seek his will above our own. As followers of Jesus, as his body in the world, we must recognise that his word might not always be what we hope to hear. It might be painful to our ears. It might challenge us to do something different from what we're comfortable doing. It might direct us to a difficult path. But discerning that will and going his way is how we must live.
So we must pray for wisdom. Weigh up the message when we hear Scripture. Balance it with a fuller weight and ask for the Spirit to reveal what is right. Remembering that our hope in Christ is something not simply for us, but he is the hope for the world. Amen.